Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. So my mom and I are sitting over at Tully's, you know that cafe on Northwest 23rd Street? I think it's still there. And we're sitting at the Formica table, and my mom carries one of these big, bright African straw bags. And she reaches into it, and she pulls out this bulging white napkin, and she places it on the middle of the table. And then she opens it up, and inside are six peeled and sectioned orange slices. And she says, this is an organic orange, and it's so good, I brought you some. Now, I grew up in Queens, and in junior high school in Queens in the 60s, all the girls were required to, to take home economics. And we were divided up into groups of four. We each had our own little mini kitchens. And we learned to make things like macaroni and cheese and noodle, noodle, uh, noodle casseroles and baked chickens. And at the end of every class, we would sit down and eat what we made. I would also save half of what I made, wrap it up in a napkin, and I would bring it home. When I got home, I would run to find my mother. Now, she was an artist. She had this basement studio, and so she'd be like at the potter's wheel, and I'd say, Mom, Mom, look what I made today. And I'd hand her this greasy napkin, <laughs> and she'd open it up and pull out this gray, wilted, half-eaten potato pancake. And she would lift it to her lips like she was eating caviar, take a bite and say, oh my God, that is so good. <laughs> so back at Tully's, I take a bite of the orange and I say, mom, it's good. Now my mother tells me that she has this hypothesis about why she's not allowed to sleep over at my house. And she thinks that it's because of my husband, not me. Now, a few years before this, my whole family had moved to Oregon. So my husband and I had moved to Portland, and my mom and stepfather had moved to Southern Oregon. And they came to Portland like once a month for like art projects or doctor's appointments or whatever, and they would always stay with us. Their visits would always begin with a series of phone calls. Hi, we're coming in Tuesday at three. We'll see you then. Great, see you then. Hey, me again. You know what? We can't make it at three. We'll be there at five. Whole long story about why they can't come at three and they're coming at five. Great, see you then. Hey, you know what? We're not going to make it Tuesday. We'll make it Wednesday. We'd love to have dinner with you. Whole long story about why they can't come Tuesday. They're coming Wednesday. Great. See you then. Their van would then finally pull into the driveway. The doors would slide open, and out would hop my mother in a cloud of clay dust because she'd been making clay pieces on the way up. Then my stepfather would get out. And he had a braid tipped to one side, his accordion over one shoulder. He, had, he was wearing his tool belt. Then the two dogs would get out, this one gigantic um, golden retriever shedding all over the place. And then they had a dachshound named Willie. And Willie had one blue eye and one 
brown eye and he bit small children. <laughs> My parents did not believe in flea, flea treatments of any kind, so the dogs were loaded with fleas. They forgot dog food. Could they use our computer? What about the printer? Somebody had to send a fax. Their phones were ringing constantly. Oh my God, it's Bjorn calling about the eggs. Oh my God, it's Dave calling about the peaches. My husband and I felt like we were the conservative parents of these wild teenagers who were 35 years older than us. The visit would finally be over, but it wasn't over, over, until I get a frantic call from my mother that she's forgotten her address book at my house. So then the search begins, I find it under the couch, I race to FedEx, and FedEx to wherever they're going next. So, I'm in my therapist's office one day. <laughs> And I say, you think it would be okay if I invited my parents to come for Thanksgiving, but I told them that they couldn't sleep over. And my therapist looked at me and she said, yes. <laughs> so back at Tully's, I say, mom, it's not my husband, he's not the reason that you're not allowed to stay at my house. It's me. And my mom says, I'm almost 80. <laughs> and a tear, I watch a tear come out of her cheek and kind of seep into her wrinkled face. And I try to think of all those things that were so clear to me in my therapist's office. <laughs> and I can't think of any of them. I stare down at the table and I, there's just that white napkin with just one little orange slice left. And then my mom looks at me and she says, I don't know if I can have a relationship with you if I'm not getting what I want. This was the first time that I had ever said no to my mother. I was 46 years old. She kept coming to Portland, and she never asked to stay at my house again. She stayed at other places, but you know, my parents were beatniks, and beatniks do not stay at hotels. <laughs> They're too cool for hotels, and it really wasn't about the money. So they would find a friend of a friend of a friend of a first cousin removed who had a couch they could crash on. But I always got the review. You know, they made our bed next to the kitty litter box. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. They serve cake for breakfast. 
and it was dry. But you know, I thought that my mom and I had gotten someplace. Here we were getting together, and she wasn't staying at my house. But what I didn't know is she was keeping a ledger. And that story is for a different night. <laughs> Thank you.